Amen. Thanks, Russ. Well, Genesis 18 is where we're at today, and we'll make it about halfway through this chapter. So let's follow along, and I'll read it to you. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And when he lifted up his eyes, and of course this is talking about Abraham, and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass by, pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I'll bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. And so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. And he said, Quickly prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. And Abraham also ran to the herd. And he took a tender choice calf and he gave it to the servant. And he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared. And he placed it before them. And he was standing uh, by them under the tree as they ate. And then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And they said, They're in the tent. <clears throat> and he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Sarah, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have the pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And at the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. You know, it's, awful, it's, it's such a great reminder to remind ourselves that nothing is too impossible um, for the Lord. I think uh, even as a little kid, um, for me, I was thinking about when I was younger and I had two older brothers. And two older brothers make it so that nothing's impossible for you, the younger brother. Let me show you a picture of my brothers. There they are. I'm the one in the middle. Bob's on the left. And uh, Dick is on the right. That's a great shot. That's actually down on the slopes of Queen Anne Hill by the Fremont District is where we lived at that time. Go to the next one, Don. This is as we're a little older. Uh, Russ, who just did the announcements, most you don't know, he's my brother. And he's the baby of the family. Let that be known. Don't forget that. He's two years younger. And, of course, you could tell. I should tell a funny story on being brothers. You can imagine what it was like. But um, um, I used to pick on Russ like anything until... My brother Russ started shot putting in high school, and he started getting really big. He was actually he won't he won't, he doesn't say this, but he was third in the nation and ninth in the university when he threw the shot. He was a big boy for a while, but I remember one day I was picking on him, and he literally decked me in the kitchen. Now some of you families are just going, I can't believe that would happen in a family. Well, when there's no dad and there's four boys, all types of things happen in families. But he literally decked me in the kitchen. And uh, we laugh about it now because at that point on, I made a note to myself, quit fighting with Russ. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anyway, so uh, that shows us there. Is there another one after that? This is years later at Disneyland. Check out the outfits, huh? Pretty nice. Yeah, we called those, uh, uh, what do we call Beachcombers. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, and then it goes blank, right? Oh, there we go. That's me. 
So a couple more. Can I have a little fun? Okay, go to the next one. This is on an Easter morning, of course. And then if you don't like that caption, the same picture with a different caption, go ahead. (laughs) And then how about one more just for fun? All right. What I want to show you, though, go ahead, Don. You can get out of there. Okay, thanks. Sean. It's kind of like Don, but it's Sean. I know that. (laughs) One of the things I want to just talk about is that type of thing. I think when I was a kid, it was interesting. My mom, I love to talk to my mom. I wish I had have written more of these things down, but I was talking to her this week about my older brothers and just saying, Mom, what were some of the things they did? And she said, well, your brother Dick rescued you all the time with homework. And he really did. Dick is a year older than me, and Dick's always been the brain in the family. And he still is just a wealth of information. And, of course, I wasn't the brain in the family. And so uh, I think of all the different times my mom said you would be sitting at the kitchen table and your brother Dick would be helping you with your homework. And so I'm thankful for that. She also tells of the time when I was uh, coming home from kindergarten and I was being chased by a dog. And uh, I was so glad I had an older brother, Bob, at that time, because evidently Bob, my mom tells me, not only ran down the dog, but I'm not sure what he did to the dog, but he sent it on its way. And my mom said, for the rest of the day, you just couldn't say anything about how Bob grabbed that dog and the dog went running away and didn't bother you anymore. Um, Another time was we'd go to Green Lake growing up in Ballard. And maybe some of you don't know where Green Lake is. Some of you do. That was in the days when you could actually swim in Green Lake. Nowadays, you can walk on Green Lake, uh, you know, when it gets that algae in the summer. But we would go there seriously. We'd probably go there three or four times a week in the evening. My mom was a great mom for that reason. And, but my mom says one time you were just digging around and you drove off the platform and you lost your shorts, literally lost your shorts, and you couldn't find them. And so Bob brought you out of town. And I thought, well, I was glad I had a big brother then. And then she says one of the funniest things in one neighborhood we lived in, she said there's this neighbor lady, and I know who she is. I'm not going to mention her. She might be here. No. Um, but... She just had it in for me. And in all fairness, I'm not sure I was the best little kid in the neighborhood. But my mom says you guys would just argue back and forth. And Bob, your older brother, would either do one of two things. He'd either come out and defend you. Or a lot of times he'd just come out and grab you by the back of the neck and take you back in the house to stop the whole thing. Because he just knew, you know, you would never stop it. So, you know, and so older brothers can do the impossible, can't they? But how much more, you guys? And this is really what we want to go with today is that how much more can the Lord do that which we can't do? Even bringing forth a child to somebody that is 90 and 100 years old like we're looking at in the scriptures today. And so that's what our passage is going to talk about. You know, Abraham, this is where we're at in our passage. He had been called out of the land of Ur. And we know today the land of Ur is uh, what we consider modern day the Persian Gulf area. He was given a promise in chapter 12 that he'd become I'll give you a great land, he said. God did to him. I'll make you a great people. Um, I will bless those who bless you. And I'll give you a son. And so we know that's what the Lord did, um, that the Lord called him out of that area and did these things. Abraham left with his family, with servants. Um, The promise was made to Abraham when he was 75 years old. And boy, that's a good reminder, isn't it? I talked about this when we were back in this passage. But isn't it a good reminder to you and I as believers, don't get stuck in your ways. How often we think that, you know, that to do the radical thing, to make the radical change is what it's all about when you're young. And there's some truth to that. 
you know, that it is easier when you're young. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't still want to do something incredible with us as we get older. So be careful you don't get too inflexible with the Lord. But Abraham was 75, Genesis 12:4 tells us. And he left there and they headed north. Remember uh, what's called the Fertile Crescent? Rather than cutting straight across to Israel, which would have been right through the desert, they went through north, uh, what we know today as ba- uh, uh, Iraq, actually, Babylon. Went up to a city called Haran, and then would loop around that and head back down on top of Israel. And that's how they made their uh, trip. And so finally, um, now as we get to where we're at today, um, Abraham is going to be 100 years old. And so 24 years have passed of, God, of Abraham waiting for the impossible to happen. And, and no doubt, 24 years earlier would have been easier, maybe, for Sarah to have a baby. She would have only been 65. And some of you ladies are thinking, better her than I. You know, last thing some of you are thinking about that you need at 65 is a brand new baby. Um, but anyway, so, but God waited 24 years. Because why? God has his purposes. He has his plans and now was the time then that he chose for Isaac to be born. And so the first thing that we see, I'm going to give you three things today, is that God permits impossible situations to develop. Okay? I'm going to give you three of these main points, and then I'm going to give you a, these little sub-points throughout the message of things we can apply. But God does, you guys, permit impossible situations to develop. And really, it, I think it's his way of getting you and I to either trust him or not to trust him. It's kind of like the sorting out of the weed, if you will. And again, I don't think he's being mean or anything like that. But these impossible situations develop so we can see he's God. And this is what we see here. And so look at verse 1 again. It says, The Lord appeared to him, to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And we really don't know today where the oaks of Mamre are. Uh, Most believe that it is by Hebron, where uh, Abraham settled which we know where that would be. That was northwest of Jerusalem, not so far. And so in your mind, if you think of the Holy Land, you think of where Jerusalem is, just a little bit to the north and a little bit to the west is where this place would have been. And this is where Abraham made his home. Abraham, multiple servants, herds that are big. And and you can imagine living in the Middle East, this would have been a good place to have oak trees, put all your tents up there, places for the animals to graze. And so Abraham was doing... What you would do too if you lived there in the afternoon, in the heat of the day, you got into the shade. Okay, they didn't work at those times. And so, verse two, while he lifted he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth. And so he's sitting at the entrance of the tent, probably a nice breeze there, a comfortable place, where three men suddenly appear. And notice he runs to greet them. So who says a guy at 99 can't still run? Okay, so he's doing it. But he runs to meet them as as they suddenly appear. And, and that's really the, the sense of the, the Hebrew here, is that all of a sudden they weren't there and then they were there. It, he didn't see them coming from a distance. All of a sudden he looked up and seemingly out of nowhere, um, he sees these three standing before him. And I'm going to show you that really one is the Lord and the other two are angels. So we know that one minute not there, the next minute there is very possible. When would seem Abraham had been waiting for something like this, anticipating the visit. When you think of what we saw last week in chapter 17, that the Lord appeared to Abraham again. 
And the Lord changed his name then from Abram to Abraham, meaning the father of a multitude, assured him that he'd have a son again. It seems that Abraham had a sense now the time was getting close. God had renewed his heart and and maybe renewed that vision that, yes, I'm going to have a son by my own flesh. And so it seems like that he's waiting for something to happen. He didn't know. But all of a sudden these guys show up and he runs to meet them. And that seems to say that, yeah, he was expecting something. Um, Not to mention that, what does he do? He bows down before them. Interesting, the word bow there is the Hebrew word that is also translated worship. And it's the first time now that that word we find in the scriptures. And so it would seem that Abraham had a pretty good idea these were not just men. They were more than men that had now come to his tent that day. And here's the first thing. Remember, I'm going to give you some little things that caught my eye that we can apply. Is when it says that Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, is that you and I as believers are to be looking and expecting the Lord to work as well. I think it's a measure of how real our relationship is with the Lord. Because if we're not, then we probably are really trusting in ourselves and we don't see the need to look to God. And let me tell you, you are then going to live a life of frustration because you'll, you'll so want to see things happen and in yourself you'll just be so limited. But it says to us, doesn't it, that as Abraham looked and he, his eyes went up and he looked and he was expecting something, I just think it's a good reminder to you and I that we're to live that same way. We're to be looking up, we're to be expecting the Lord to do something. And so running over to these men, look at verse 3. He said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I'll, be, and I'll bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may go on your way since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. And so a custom in these days was to show hospitality to strangers and to visitors. And, uh, and remember, Abraham was also wondering, are they more than just visitors? Are they more than just strangers that happen to be going by on this path, on this road, this day? And of course, the answer is yes. And you know, even to this day, it's something you and I living in a metropolitan area, we don't experience this much. If you've grown up in a metropolitan area, you really have never experienced much hospitality. You go move to the Midwest or go move to a little town in Montana, And I assure you, you'll experience more hospitality than you do living in a great big city. But it's a wonderful thing. And I I could even think about not too many years ago when I found myself in India, it was the same type of thing as these, uh, it's such a hospitable culture in some of these uh, other countries and um, of how they just wait upon you. And I can remember at one place, um, we, 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 we finally caught on what they were doing that when they would serve you food, uh, some of the Indian young men in the Bible schools there would just stand there. And you're kind of thinking, what's he standing there for? Because the minute your plate is half empty, they're going to fill it up again. And that's exactly what they do. So I went with Pastor Ken from Spokane, and him and I learned to eat a little bit slower because we just couldn't eat all the food they were putting on us. But that's what was happening here, this this incredible hospitality. And so Abraham is saying, stay, you know, wash your feet, be refreshed, eat some bread, be nourished. And, and they agreed to do so. And so... Uh, remember uh, that then who these three are and I'll show you the first one is most believe if you do some searching and you check me out on this believe that it is Christ it's what we call an Old Testament appearance of Christ the big word is a theophany 
And, and, and that's all that means is that Christ appears in the Old Testament. And again, don't think that's strange because Christ existed prior to all this, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. They, they, the, the Godhead, the Trinity existed prior to the foundation of the earth and prior to Christ literally being born as a man, he was. And so it's not odd to now think that he could appear like this. And of course, we've seen this not only in Genesis, when we studied in the book of Joshua, we see it. Uh, Joshua encounters it. And so it's a common thing. But notice, let me show you some things. First of all, in verse 3, he, he says, my Lord. And that is the word Adonai. And again, it's an interesting word. It's a divine name for the Lord. And so that's an indication that this is the Lord. Now, let me tell you something. Adonai isn't always used just for the Lord. Adonai is a title used to show respect for men. And so it doesn't always have to just be a word that is shown for the Lord. And so in all fairness, we have to say that. The next thing, look at verse 5 when he says, Since you have visited your servant. One, it shows Abraham saw there was a, a purpose here. You kind of get the sense that. That Abraham is thinking, what's going on here? And then two, he places himself, what? Below them, calling himself his servant. So again, an indication that Abraham has a sense that these visitors that have shown up his tent today are more than just mere men. Then you go to verse 10, and he says, I will surely return, and Sarah will have a son. It seems that this would be a bit much for a normal visitor in the first person to make such a claim. And then probably the greatest proof that it's the Lord is verse 13, when it says, And the Lord said to Abraham, and notice verse 3, in your Bibles it should be translated, the word Lord there should be all lower caps. Now in verse 13 it's all upper caps. And the difference is that the Lord here then is none other than Yahweh or Jehovah, the exalted one. So now it takes all doubt away. This is the Lord himself. And of course another one is when he knew that Sarah laughed, even though she had done so in herself behind a partition in the tent. It shows us again, these are not mere men. And then the other two, the reasons we know they are angels is one, next week when we get to verse 22, you're going to see that they're going to leave Abraham and they're going to leave the Lord talking and they're making their way to Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know the passage, we're going to head into the passage next week where Abraham pleads with God, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare the city? Why? Because these two are going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and wipe it out. And as we get to chapter 19 next week at verse 1, it then identifies these two as angels. And so these are the three visitors that now are before the Lord. And so what was an act of hospitality, but again, let me show you some things that we see here. First of all, it says to me that a priority of our lives is to be uh, serving the Lord. That's to be a priority of our lives. And I, I get that by Abraham. Here's this man. He's a great man. He really is. He's a powerful man. He's a wealthy man. And on and on we can go. But do you notice he's a servant? And, and when we think of that, it's important that I think of two things. First of all, we know what servant means. It means we're to be a servant in the things that we do. We're to serve each other. We're to serve other people as believers. And this is what makes us different than the world. You know, the world does serve one another. The world does good things to each other. But you and I are commanded to be servants. And we're very serious about it. Hopefully, as a believer, one of our goals is that. We constantly want to be serving other people. And so whether it's here at church, it could be at home. You know, I mean, we're to be serving one another at home. It could be at the workplace, out in the public arena. We're to be servants. And, and again, what did Jesus say? If anyone wants to be first, 
he shall be what? The servant of all. It's incredible. Years ago, if you're old enough, you remember the song, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Some of you don't know that. Some of you are humming the tune in your head right now because you know that chorus. But So that's one thing. But when we think of uh, being a servant, you guys, the word servant also gets, it, it's the same word often in scriptures, especially in the New Testament, as worship. And so it says that if a priority in my life is to be serving, and that means one another and others, it also means then it means I'm to be worshiping the Lord. And so we're to, be, we're to worship Him in our devotion to Him. We're, as we read, as we meditate upon His Word, the Bible, as we pray, all that is to be a priority in our life. Always, another thing is be mindful of His will. Abraham didn't know for sure what the Lord wanted or what was in this visit, but he was very mindful of God's will, and that's what he wanted in his life. And again, how important at times, we don't know what God's will is. But that doesn't mean we can't want it more than anything else. Verse 3, what does it say there? Please don't pass you by. I wonder if that song we sang earlier, that old hymn, if this isn't where it came from, please don't pass me by, see? And that's Abraham's heart. These guys, he's saying, he's got a a sense that, is there something about this? So he says, don't leave yet. (laughs) Don't pass me by. You know, don't just say hi and bye. Hang tight for a minute. And, and again, it, 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 to me, it, it's something that speaks to our own hearts of, about be mindful of God's will. Want God's will. Even though you don't know it, see? You want that. And then literally wait on the Lord. For Abraham, that meant two things. The serving side, you know, wait. Be a servant, Abraham. But then the waiting. Waiting for the promise of God to come true for having a son. And to us, it means be patient. Wait. Don't move until you know where and how God wants you to move. See, we are, we are such an impatient society. Did you know? Now write this down. This is going to be the, probably the most profound thing I say this morning. There are no drive-up windows in heaven. <laughs> of course, I'm joking. There are. No, no. <laughs> but see, that's our mentality, isn't it? Our mentality is, I want what I want and what? When I want it. And do you realize that our culture and our world tries to do that the best we can? That's why credit cards are so popular. Because they give you what you want when you want it. What they don't tell you is, well, I don't want the bill later. You know, you see what I mean? And so we have to understand that, that this is what we bring into our mindset. And of course, God wants us to, to be able to really just wait for Him and to bring about His timing. And how important it is. I came across a great story of a young kid that went into a local store with his mother. And the store owner was this great store owner, real kind. He had this great big jar of candy. And he he grabbed it and he reached out to the little boy and said, take a handful. Well, the little kid wouldn't do it. And this wasn't like this little kid at all. And so finally the store owner took a handful and gave it to the kid. And they left. And the mom said, what would you do that for? That's not like you at all. And the little boy said, because his hand was bigger. See, and the, the the point is, is this, you guys? Sometimes we are tempted not to wait, but waiting often produces a better result. When we'll wait for God's will to be done, it is really going to be the result that we want, even at, even if at the time we're not aware of it. It will be what we want. It'll be so much better, and and that's a great reminder. And so we go on, verse six, Abraham. Then he's got him standing. He hurried into the tent to Sarah. And he said, quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour 
knead it and make bread cakes. And Abraham also ran to the herd. And he took a tender and choice calf and he gave it to the servant. And he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared. And he placed it before them and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. And so Abraham, man, he's a man after my own heart. You go, well, how come, Scott? Well, look at this. Verse 5, he says, oh, I'll bring you a piece of bread. But now he had time to think. And all of a sudden he said, hold it, man. Who is before me? I could do much more than just bread. And again, I love that. So what does he do? He, he not only makes some bread cakes, but he slaughters a calf. Veal, if you will. You know, curds is yogurt and milk. And, you know, it doesn't say so, but I have to believe there had to be some seasoning in there. You know, some spices. There's incredible spices and seasonings in the Middle East. One author said three measures of three measures here is the word sia and a flour equals six gallons. My Bible says that one sia equaled 11 quarts. So three would be 33 quarts. Four quarts in a gallon is 8.25 gallons of flour. Now, the point is, either way, you slice it. Six gallons, eight and a, eight and a quarter gallons, that's a lot of bread that he made. And you ladies that make bread know that that is a lot of flour. But that's what they did. And so Abraham's made a feast, hasn't he? And now you say, okay, but look at this, you guys. Let me show you some stuff again about servant here. You know, it's, it seems like it's just a meal. It's just basic. Let's move on, Scott. But look at this, some insights here. First of all, serving and being a servant in servanthood is using and being very practical. I think sometimes our culture, our our flesh, our ego, we always want the big thing. You know, I'll serve, but can I get some attention for it? Can everybody just go, oh, wow, that's incredible you did that. You know, but it's, it's, it's not to be that way. Matter of fact, the greatest servants serve and nobody even knows they did it. It's the stuff that gets done and nobody's aware of. Only the Lord knows it's done. That's how we're to do it. But again, it's, it's very practical, isn't it? And, and let me just say this then. That when we say, well, I don't know how to serve, I think we really need to stop talking like that. Because it's so simple, serving is. So it could be just doing things to help out around church. Where's the need? How can I do this? And same in the home. You know, at my house, it's just wink and I now. The kids don't live there anymore. They do come home to eat, to graze, I call it. Um, no, we love it when they come home and visit. Um, but, you know, for me at home, and I'm just talking about myself right now, it's not hard to figure out how to be a servant at home. You know, I just know I have to do the things that Wink wants me to do. You know, watch her. And I've said this before, I've learned to watch how she keeps a house and realize that's how she wants it. And I say, well, don't you have some say in that? I do. My study and the garage are mine. Okay. Only one time my wife rearranged my tools in my garage. One time. And I said to her very politely, I said, listen, dear, I don't ask for much, but the garage is mine. And please don't rearrange a man's tools. <laughs> so we understand that. But in the other areas, it's hers. And, and it's not like it's a horrible thing. I find that the rewards that come back to me when I honor my wife in the house are great. And so I watch, you know, I watch where she tends to put my shoes when I leave them in the middle of the room. And I've learned, okay, don't leave them there. Put them there. And they'll be there in the morning. Oh, that's a good place then. She wants them there. So anyway, you understand I'm kind of going too far here with this. But it's not hard to be a servant. 
as you serve, watch this, involve others. Do you see that's what Abraham does? What does he do? He involves his wife. He involves other servants to prepare the meat. And you guys, when we serve, involve others. Say, hey, well, help me do this. I'm going to be doing this. Or families with your kids. Bring your kids into it. You know, with our kids, we do, we do have to teach them the commands of the Lord. We do teach them verbally. We teach them with our mouth and, and things like that. So I'm not saying we don't do that. But just as important as who we are. And to take our children and to have them serve alongside of us is such a powerful example that they in turn, as they grow up, they'll be servants, you guys. And, and even if you haven't done that, no time like the present. It's like the prison cookie thing. You know, don't just bake cookies if you have children. Involve the kids. And when they're done and wrapped and you're ready to bring them to church, just pause and lay your hands on them with your kids and pray over them and say, God, these cookies are going to go to a place we're not going to go, but you're going to be there that night. And we just pray you'll minister that weekend. See, so all of a sudden now we bring others into it. Nothing I think it says here is be thorough, be complete, carry through to the finish, go beyond. Isn't that what Abraham did? He said, I'll bring you some bread. But look at how much more he brought them. And you guys, as we serve, be complete in your service. Go above and beyond, you know, in your service. You know, don't just do the bread, do this. It's one of the things I love. We have one of, we have one of some of the most awesome Sunday school teachers. One of our young ladies, she's a high school girl today. And she was here really early. And I knew, I said, what are you doing here so early? She said, well, I rode with my brother, but I, I'm teaching today. I said, you know, I, and she said, I want to get things ready. And man, you got to love that. She's in a high school kid teaching your children. And she's here way before anybody else so that she could be ready, see? And, and she's being thorough. And, and, and carry through, you guys. Abraham didn't say, uh, you know, forget it. I'm sorry, I don't have any food for you. Go ahead, leave. You know, he, he carried through. And you know something? And I just want to say this. There are too many believers that say they'll commit to serving in some way only to stop in the process. And I think Abraham's a great example that he carried through right to the end. And you and I need to understand that. You know, we want to not just finish well, but we want to, I mean, start well. We want to finish well. And so a good, good reminder. And, and then again, be ready to serve some more. What does Abraham do? He feeds him. Where's he at? He's standing there. See what I told you? This is exactly what happened in India. He just stands there. It's kind of nerve wracking, you know, and they're just waiting to put more food on your plate. And I go, I know you go, well, that's a problem for you, Scott. Most of the time it's not. Okay. <laughs> you know, and I do love Indian food. So anyway, but anyway, but again, be ready to serve some more. And we see that, don't we? That not only did he serve a meal, but he's ready there. Anything else these guys need, I'll get it for him. Well, he goes on, verse 9. Then they said to him, so they ate their meal. They're sitting around under the trees. Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, they're in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I become old, Shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, and again, I get the impression here, this is the Lord saying, No, you did laugh. And so the reason for the visit 
was to assure Abraham and Sarah that God would bring forth this promise. You'll have a son, and now it will happen in less than a year. And it's interesting the Lord asks where Sarah is. Where's Sarah, Abraham? And he says, well, she's in the tent. And it's almost as if the Lord wanted to make sure that what he was about to say, she could hear. She was eavesdropping. And in this culture, that wasn't necessarily wrong. These tents, if you ever make it to the Middle East and to the Holy Land, they call them the Bedouins and they're, they're shepherds and stuff. And they have these massive tents, seriously. Some of them are probably easily half the size of this room, made out of this heavy, black, dark canvas. And within those, if you went into one, there'd be a great big open area where maybe the men would sit, but there'd be other areas where a partition could come down. And so there's a good chance that Sarah's behind one of these partitions. And she's listening. Women do this. They did that. And you women know what we're talking about. We'll just leave it at that, won't we? Okay? Us guys don't want to get in trouble with saying more than we should. Um, But anyway, so that's what was going on here. And so hearing this, she laughs to herself as both her and Abraham were so old. And laughing here was either because Abraham had failed to say to her, told her the promise, or he had failed to convince her that God would bring this. But either way, she laughed. Her faith needed to be strengthened. She needed to get to the place where she could trust God for this miracle. And in all fairness, we passed it quickly last week. I didn't actually hit on it. We read it. But Abraham did the same thing. Look back in 17. Go back to 17 at verse 15 there and look what it says. When God's speaking to Abraham, it says, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I'll bless her indeed. I will give you a son by her. And then I'll bless her and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come to her. And Abraham, watch this, verse 17, fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a son? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And so some Bible scholars, and I, gotta, I want to tell you both here, some don't see Abraham's laughter as the same as Sarah's laughter. They see Abraham's laughter, and again, you've got to think about it, and it could be this, as he was just overwhelmed. He finally was just so excited um, about what was going to happen. But others do say, no, it's the same. And the reason they say it was different than Sarah's a, a thing is, here Sarah kind of gets rebuked, doesn't she, for laughing. Abraham didn't get rebuked. But the other side is, there are those that seem to think, no, Abraham was having a little skepticism too, because of verse 18, he tries to direct God's attention and efforts to Ishmael. Okay, I heard what you said, Lord. Yeah, I heard that. But hey, just bless Ishmael and I'll be happy. You know, And I tend to kind of think that Abraham was laughing as well. And so either way, though, you know, you just see this was going on. And so if the first thing we see was God permits impossible situations to develop, then here's the second point. God can do the seemingly impossible. Now listen, you guys. I mean that. God's Word means that. And God wants you to hear that. Because we face things at times that seem to be impossible. What was the impossible thing for Sarah and Abraham? Having kids. Could you imagine being 190 years old, walking into a birth clinic and going, yes, uh, we'd like to talk to you about having children. You know, And the doctor would look at you and go, um, how old are you? You know, I'm sorry, it's not possible. You know, 
And so that was the impossible thing. And yet, we will come to chapter 21, and this is what we'll read when we get to chapter 21, the first three verses. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time at which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And so there it is, you guys. God can do the seemingly impossible. And so what is impossible for us to man, it isn't to God. And how you and I need to remember that. We need to remember that. Maybe you need to just, whatever you need to do, if you're facing something, to remember that, do it. You know, maybe maybe you just need to put something on the dash of your card, car so that you'll just remember God can do this, you know. What are you wanting to see God do? What are you going to do to remind yourself of this promise? I encourage you to do that. And really, there are some things here. Let me show you some things that I think come out of this before we get to the last thing. One is, don't be afraid of reality. I think today we live in a world that really doesn't like reality. Um, We don't like to deal with it. We sometimes don't like what's going on in our lives. Um, And for Abraham and Sarah, the reality was the fact that they were too old for kids. That's the bottom line. They were too old for kids. And they knew it. See? And, and, and again, today, we need to realize, don't be afraid of reality. Look at your life. Be honest with your life. You know, today we use the term denial. And there are a lot of people that live in a state of denial, if you will. You know, not wanting to see things as they really are. Not wanting to see themselves as they really are. That's a real challenge, even for us believers, isn't it? You notice, even when somebody that might be close to us, that we love, we respect... We have absolutely no problem with them. They're a close friend. Even when they come and point something out to us, so often, what is our first reaction? Defensiveness. See? Because sometimes we don't like to see things as they really are. And again, I think this is a great reminder when we look at Abraham and Sarah and they saw things as they really were, you and I need to understand that too. It's a good thing. Now, it can be a bad thing if we see things as they are and then it forces us not to want to see them. But the other side is a second thing. It, rather than let it defeat you, it can really draw you to Christ and draw you into His power even more. And that's the response that should be happening for you and I. So when we see what the reality is, when we see what is going on, um, and it could be something real severe, it might not be something as severe, you know, let it draw you closer to Christ, to trust Him more, to believe Him more, rather than cause you to not do that. You know, I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12.10. He says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. And really what he was saying, he says, when I get to the place where I realize I can't do this thing in myself, guess what? I I really become strong because it's at that point that Christ's power really starts to work in me and through me. And so again, you guys, you know, sometimes we could look at our weaknesses and we could look at our limitations and it could scare us. And we say, I don't want to look at that anymore. But how much better to just let it draw you to Christ and let God do His work. And then third, be honest with yourself and be honest with the Lord. And for Sarah, Sarah was honest with with herself. She knew, I can't have kids. But you notice she wasn't honest with the Lord? See? The Lord heard her laugh in her heart, in her mind. And the Lord said so. And Sarah, it says she was afraid. I think she was also embarrassed, right? I mean, she realizes now... These are just not, these are heavenly visitors that are in the tent right now in the area. And she's embarrassed. She's afraid. And she says, No, I didn't laugh. And the Lord says, Yes, you did. 
Notice there's no more conversation at that point. <laughs> you know, it's like case closed. Okay, you're not going to argue anymore. And I just think it's a good thing for you and I that we want to be honest with ourselves and we want to also be honest before the Lord. Isn't it funny that how, from a doctrinal standpoint, we believe God knows all things, but at times we act like there's things in our life that He doesn't know. <laughs> he knows all things, you guys. So let's be honest about them, and I think it'll be good for us. And so, if God permits impossible situations to develop, God can do the seemingly impossible. The third thing is then, God is glorified in the proof of His power. And you know where you see that? Verse 14. It says there, and that's the key verse, isn't it? That's the thing I want you to go with, the thing I want you to post on your car dashes, on your doors, on your bathroom mirrors. This verse is anything too difficult for the Lord. But the proof of is nothing is too difficult is what? When it says there, at the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Period. It will happen. And that's the proof. And that is when God gets glorified. See, And so you and I need to understand that. That God will do the impossible, and when He does it, He's glorified. And so, that is what we want to go out of here with today. We want to realize that God can do that thing that I can't do. He can bring about that that thing that I want to see Him bring about in my life. Matthew and uh, Jesus said in Matthew 19:26, "With men, this is impossible, but with God, He said the same thing. All things are possible." Philippians 4:13, Paul said, "I can do all things." Through Him who strengthens me. And so what is that impossible thing? What is the impossible thing? You know, it could be a health issue for some of you. You know, you don't always know all the details. You hear the things, you might pick up the prayer requests. There are some people in our fellowship right now that are facing some major things health-wise. I kid you not. Some of them are, if you would call them life-threatening, how it could go. And so... It could be something that huge, can it? And that's the impossible thing. I know some of the rest of you, I, I know many of you young couples, you're looking for a place to live. You're, you're thinking, God, you know, it'd be nice if we can get into a house. I'll tell you what's the impossible, the Seattle market. <laughs> Isn't it? It's insane, you know, how much housing is. You know, but God can do the impossible. He really can. You know, I, I, I know, just if you would just believe me, I'm not that old and I'm not that wise. I'm really not. But I tell you, if I could just sit you down and tell you all the times in Wink and My's life over the years that we just were looking for God to do that thing that we just didn't know how He could do it, but we were just naive enough and just simple enough to believe Him. And we look back and we realize all the times He did it. And you guys that are young, and you're young in the Lord maybe, you know, do that. Let God start teaching you at a young age. I can do it. Start praying. Start believing. Watch me do that impossible thing. So it could be something like that. You know, the other thing, don't exclude you guys. The impossible thing is, what work are you wanting to see God do in you? And again, don't leave it at that. Because I pray that you'll be thinking too about the impossible for here. You know, I talked to the owner of our building not too long ago. Last week, a matter of fact. He says we could have the rest of this building anytime we want. Now you say, well, do we really need it? I'm not sure we need it right yet. But a couple, about a month ago, our first service was literally completely full. Okay? Now you say, what's the advantage? Well, right beyond that wall is an open warehouse that would make our sanctuary about three times the size. Up above is another floor that we put all the junior high and high school. 
All the area then upstairs over here would be our kids' ministry. And for that to happen, though, we need parking. So that means we're going to have to at least get one of the houses to the north. I'd like to have all four houses to the north. Because I'd like to have two of them for parking. I'd like to build a gymnasium. And I'd like to have an open space for a playground for our kids. And then one of our board members this week, and I won't mention his name, put the seed in my head, well, what about this building right here? What about tearing it down to give us better visibility and put more parking there? I said, fine, I'll add that to my vision. (laughs) And so that's the impossible. And I ask you as members of this church, and again, I don't want to rush ahead of God. And we are not going to go ahead of God. But I want you to, I need you to help me with the impossible. With what God wants of our church. But getting back to what does he want to do in you too? So don't let it just be a self thing. But again, what work do you want to see God? After first service, and she's not here, so I can say this, I want you to tell you who she is anyway. I had a lady come up to in the fellowship. She's been in the church for years, her and her family. Wonderful people. And she shared with me, she said, Scott, I want you to pray for me, but really it's a prayer thing. There's been, they're just, she was sharing with me something in her life that's been over her life for years. Literally years. And she has been praying with some other ladies in the church that in God's timing, God would just take this thing away. And she came up to me and she said, it, God took it away this week. There's just a, the burden is gone. There's just this freedom now in my life. And it was just so incredible. See, it was the impossible thing. You know, years ago, I mentioned um, uh, uh, my family when I started. My dad left my mom when I was three years old. And so we pretty much, we had a stepdad for a few years in high school. It didn't work out. Okay, I'll tell you, it's not a good thing for a man to marry a woman with four teenage boys. Not a good thing, okay? But anyway, um, there were years, you guys. I love my dad dearly. I wish my dad was still here today. Um, we were hoping, as he got sick in his later years, and we were hoping he could come live with us, and my family was willing for it. But my dad just... Um, my dad, we think, he, we think he remarried at least four more times. And he just lived this horribly loose life. He lived under guilt for so many years about leaving us boys and my mom and never paying child support. And my ministry, Wink and myself and the kids, I always felt our ministry was grace. And just ministering to my dad, grace, and letting him know how much we loved him. And all the years we'd visit him in Portland. I can remember one time when he was just going on, I said, Dad, listen to me. I said, are, are, you, are you not proud of me? Are you not proud that I'm in the ministry? And he says, oh, son, I'm so proud of you. I said, well, then, you know what? It's okay. You made mistakes and everything else, but look what God did. And what I'm getting at is this. I tell you guys, and you've got to understand this. I thought for years, I wondered if my dad would ever really come to Christ. And two years before he died, he came to Christ. And the thing that I thought, I'm not sure this is ever going to happen, Lord, happened and you need to understand that and so again what is the impossible thing in your life that work the Lord wants to do in you uh, with whoever you're connected with in our church take that thing you guys hold it up to the scripture that we just studied hold it up to the light of this passage the light of verse 14 that says is anything too difficult for the Lord and realize you're right it's not and then just be patient and let God work. And let me say that. Be patient. See, This dear lady that shared with me first service, she said it's been years what's been going on. Just this thing over her. And God finally took it away. 
It was years for my dad. Do you realize? Look at Sarah and Abraham. 25 years until the time God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a son. 25 years. Golly. How many of us would be willing to wait 25 years? I'm kind of thinking, you know, if it's Monday, I'm thinking, Lord, it'd be really good if you could take care of this by the weekend. You know, right? Come on. That's how we think, see? But 25 years. Guys, listen. Be patient. Let God work. You say, I want the will of God in my life. Well, do you? Because if you do, then you will really say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to bring this about. I'm not going to force this. I'm not going to be impatient. I'm going to let your work take place when it takes place. And you'll be patient. And God will do it. And all the older people, 50 and older, said, Amen. Now, I didn't mean to exclude you younger ones. But what I'm trying to say is, the older you get, you realize this. You realize God finally starts putting patience in your life. So I can't wait till I'm 60, man, and 70, and 80. (laughs) Let's stand. As we close this morning, if you want prayer for anything, um, just come up front. Um, Any of the overseers that are here, if you'll just come up to the front and they'll pray with you and pray over you and pray for what maybe you need prayer for. But uh, what a great passage, amen? Great passage of Scripture. And our hearts need this, don't they? Our hearts need to be reminded how big our God is, how awesome our God is, and that God can do the impossible. Amen. Father, we thank you for our morning. Thank you for the time of worship, to worship you in song. And we thank you, Lord, for your word and how it reminds us this morning that you can do the impossible, Lord. And so we give you afresh, Lord, those things that are impossible. And we just lay them at your hand. And we ask, Lord, that your will will be done, that you'll do that thing that we can't do, Lord. And, Lord, we are patient. We want to rest and wait for your timing, Lord. And so thank you for this time. Lead us and guide us this week, Lord. Fill us with grace. Fill us with your love. And I pray that grace and that love would come forth from our life to other people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord.